Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 689. We'll start off this morning's show with a preview of next week's show when we'll welcome two nationally known birding superstars back to the program Wayne Peterson and Paul Basich, creators of the amazing birding community eBulletin. One of the eBulletin's regular features is their rare bird alert, in which they highlight surprising, exciting, very unexpected bird sightings. And with that in mind, we offer our own rare bird report in the form of something not just rare, but unprecedented, up in and around the town of Biddeford in the great state of Maine. Multiple sightings of this bird. It's Buteogallus urubutinga, the great black hawk, a wide-ranging neotropical raptor found from northern Mexico through most of tropical America. And this week, at least up to a day or two ago, still being viewed by hundreds of folks up in Maine. Chances are you've heard about this. It's getting a lot of uh, coverage on TV, radio, newspapers. And not for nothing, but other parts of northern New England are also places to be for unexpected bird sightings this week. There have been reports from Rochester, New Hampshire, of a wood stork, usually not seen north of Georgia. And from Gorham, New Hampshire, a neotropic cormorant, whose breeding range extends only as far up as Texas and Arizona. Meanwhile, in the upper Midwest, there's some good news about a bird that's been in serious danger of disappearance for quite some time. It would be the Kirtland's warbler, a bird that, at least until fairly recently, was found in breeding season only in young jack pine forests in the Great Lakes region, wintering in very limited parts of the Bahama Islands. Well, the bird has rebounded to include now more than 2,000 breeding pairs. As a result, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has proposed removing the species from the endangered species list. That's good news because it's an indicator of the Kirtland warbler, Kirtland's warbler recovery, even though it's a species that will require long-term habitat management and ongoing support for its survival. Fortunately, the Michigan-based Towsley Foundation is funding a business plan to coordinate conservation, research, and fundraising to help make sure that the Kirtland's warbler will survive and thrive. Meanwhile, down on a beach in Alabama, there are some folks who are not helping least terns and some other birds survive. Thanks to Peter Carter down in Mobile, Alabama, about 25 miles north of Dauphin Island for alerting us to this story. Not a pleasant one. Beachgoers on a small island at the mouth of Mobile Bay apparently decided that birds, mostly least terns, were in their way, uh, and their eggs were too, so they proceeded to collect all the eggs from the nests to clear out an area so they could play volleyball. 
They reportedly even built a little dome of sand and placed the eggs around it as decoration, stacking dozens of eggs stolen from nests in a pile to bake in the sun. Many of the eggs reportedly were about to hatch but failed to do so without the protection of the nests and the parent birds shielding them from the sun. We haven't heard of any action being taken against the volleyballers, but Birmingham Audubon, which discovered the incident, says it hopes to use it as a teaching moment and as a way to further their effort to help Alabama's coastal birds rebound from a much bigger tragedy a while ago, the BP oil spill. I know you can barely hear that. And this is the loud part of this bird's song. It's our mystery bird, and it's a little preview of our mystery bird contest, which we'll activate a little bit later on in the show. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a yellow chest and thin black stripes, a yellow and rusty red face, big white wing bars, and a yellowish rump. It gets the first part of its name from a famous birding locale in New Jersey. That's kind of a big hint, I think. Our bird breeds across the boreal forest of Canada and the northern U.S. and feeds by gleaning insects, especially spruce budworms, from the foliage. We have a beautiful Droll Yankees ruby sipper hanging hummingbird feeder is our prize today and a bonus prize of a download to your iOS device or online access online access to the LarkWire app. That's the app that makes uh, learning bird sounds a game. Prizes on our upcoming Mystery Bird Contest. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. The famous parrots of San Francisco are branching out to new neighborhoods. We'll connect you uh, to an update. Is it an albino hummingbird or a leucistic hummingbird? And exactly what hummingbird species is it? We're not sure yet, but we do know that folks in Greenup, Kentucky, are getting some nice views of an all-white hummingbird that has come to town. We'll link you to the story and pictures, and I think a video there, courtesy of the Ashland, Kentucky Daily Independent. And there's new news about the great crested flycatchers that have nested in Mike O'Connor's backyard. We have that story from Mike's own Ask the Bird Folks newspaper column. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. You can find those stories as well through an online search. Well, we have a new listener blog this week. It's from Joy Klump, who's a Talking Birds ambassador and a master naturalist in Houston, Texas. Her blog includes a very sad story, a kayak trip, and a special gift through the sighting of a barred owl. It's in this week's listener blog, easily found at TalkingBirds.com. Meanwhile, a lot of those volleyball players we mentioned a moment ago may soon be looking for different venues for their games as sea levels continue to rise. And even if they do move to higher ground, they may have trouble contacting their friends about the new game location as a result of encroaching ocean waters. Researchers from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the University of Oregon say that within 15 years, seawater is likely to submerge more than 4,000 miles of internet cable in the U.S., 
and engulf more than a thousand data centers that house servers, routers, and other hardware. A spokesperson for AT&T says the company is planning for near-term weather and long-term environmental risks. And a spokesperson for the Louisiana-based CenturyLink telecommunications company says it will take all potential risks, such as the effects of climate change, into consideration in their ongoing planning. The research paper included a set of recommendations for mitigating the threat, including possible construction of seawalls, rerouting Internet traffic when threats arise, and attempting to waterproof the cables and related infrastructure. Sounds complicated. Uh, We'll add a link to the full story on our website. Well, this week in the war on plastic straws, 500 million of which are used and tossed every day here in the U.S. We don't have ready stats about how many plastic straws are heading for the ocean from Canada, but I'm sure it's a lot. Our friend and Talking Birds ambassador in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, the ever-resourceful André Dubreuil, sent us a note saying, So much is being said about plastic straws and substituting for them with paper ones, but I offer a different solution. Lovage. Or maybe it's lovage. Anyway, it's a plant that grows rapidly and offers the aroma of celery. It's Levisticum officinale, Lovage in English, Livèche in French. And if you say Lovage, that kind of sounds French as well. She says the hollow stem of this plant makes a perfect natural straw. Thank you, Andre. It sounds like a pretty cool idea worth a try for all who might like to substitute this natural item for those nasty plastic straws. And Tim, we'll be trying them here because uh, Andre is sending some of those lovage or lovage or livesh natural straws to us here at Talking Birds. By the way, we also came across in this info about that plant that may prove useful in a very different way a few months from now. In the UK, folks enjoy an alcoholic lovage cordial, traditionally made in a mixture with brandy in the ratio of two to one as a winter drink. (laughs) Cheers. Uh, One other thing, we hear that the Trudeau government in Canada is considering a move to try to ban plastic straws in Canada completely. Stay tuned. Last week, we reported about how your weed may be killing the environment. It was a story not about any toxicity relating to the marijuana itself, but rather to the pesticides being used to help grow the grass out in Northern California. Well, today, there's another story with a pot and California connection. Well, not a pot connection. It's a weed connection. And it's not about growing weed. It's about killing weeds. Specifically, Monsanto's well-known weed killer called Roundup and a related product called Ranger Pro. A jury in San Francisco this week awarded damages in the amount of, this is pretty unbelievable, $289 million to Bay Area former school groundskeeper Dwayne Johnson, who is terminally ill with a form of cancer known as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. The jury found that Monsanto had failed to warn about the dangers of Roundup and Ranger Pro, both herbicides, 
and awarded $39 million in compensatory damages and $250 million in punitive damages to Mr. Johnson, who was diagnosed with cancer in 2014 after a couple of years of spraying Ranger Pro. Monsanto says it will appeal the decision. Well, our conservation salute of the week goes to another big company, but one that's doing something good here. It's a big brewer, a really big brewer. Here's the headline from cleantechnica.com. Anheuser-Busch InBev launches $100,000 global sustainability accelerator. The company this week launched a plan to make available up to $100,000 per entrant with an idea to solve some of the world's most pressing global sustainability issues. Now, it might be reasonable to suspect a company's motives when they take action like this, but it's interesting to note that in the last year or so, Anheuser-Busch InBev has committed itself to be powered 100% by renewable electricity by 2025, something they plan to plaster across their bottles so that everyone who drinks a Budweiser knows what they're doing. The new 100-plus accelerator program, which will be open to academics, entrepreneurs, scientists, and technologists who believe they have an idea to solve some of the pressing global sustainability issues, will run for six months and will offer access to a network of NGOs, venture capitalists, successful entrepreneurs, and the company's own experts and executives. Got an idea for this, Tim? Now is the time to put it forward. Anheuser-Busch InBev says the accelerator is now open for applicants. Well, we'd like to also salute some Talking Birds listeners, some great listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors, helping to spread the word about the show and bird conservation and conservation in general. And so a great thank you. We're back to Canada here to Jesse Barraza from St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Jesse. He also sent us a great story about swallows and swifts visiting his backyard. That'll appear soon, that story, as a listener blog on our TalkingBirds.com website. We'd also like to say a big thank you to Marge from Birmingham, Alabama, who says listening to podcasts of our show makes her commute to work much more tolerable. That's nice. And she says she's been telling her Birmingham Audubon friends about Talking Birds. And it's a special thanks going out to Marge because she has just become our 250th Talking Birds ambassador. Thank you, Marge, for becoming an ambassador and for helping us to reach that uh, beautiful milestone there. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join Marge and Jesse as a Talking Birds ambassador. Simply click on the contact button at talkingbirds.com to do it. Then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Contact button, talkingbirds.com. By the way, we're reaching out especially today to listeners in the now just four states where no Talking Birds ambassadors yet reside. Those states are... Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, and New Mexico. If you're in one of those states, we're issuing you a special invitation to become a Talking Birds ambassador. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment. It's a timely topic, 
How birds keep cool in the hot weather. And up next, a now pretty wide-ranging bird that didn't arrive here in North America until the 1940s is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Rolling, 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 Well, what does this iconic American music have to do with a bird that's a native of Africa and Asia? Well, this bird, ouch, today's featured feathered friend, joined a wave of immigration to the Americas in the late 19th century and started following cows and steers as they steered up insects while grazing. They're happy to follow tractors and horses, too, to get an easy meal provided through the disturbing of the soil by hooves and hose. Our bird is the cattle egret, also attracted to smoke from a distant fire, traveling from afar to catch insects trying to escape the inferno. Cattle egrets didn't reach the U.S., from northern South America until the early 1940s with the first nesting record here in 1953. It's now one of the most abundant of North American herons. The cattle egret is a medium-sized all-white heron with a sturdy yellow bill, a distinctive puffy throat, and for a heron, a short, thick neck. When the birds in breeding plumage look for long, buffy reddish feathers on the crown, chest, and back, and in high breeding conditions, the bill, legs, and eyes turn bright red. Here's what it sounds like on its nesting sites in the southeastern U.S. and South America. The cattle egret. Today's featured feathered friend here on Talking Birds. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Oh, the One little cautionary rolling. note about those uh, figures of a cattle a cattle egret doing well. Their populations between 1966 and 2015 actually declined by 50 percent, according to the North American Breeding Bird Survey. Little information now on population numbers, but a 2002 study by the North American Waterbird conservation plan estimated there's a lot of cattle egrets in Texas. About 1.1 million breeding cattle egrets in Texas. Thanks again for being with us and welcome to our show, number 689. We hope you enjoy our show. Please tell your friends about it if you do. Find us uh, at TalkingBirds.com or info there and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Meanwhile, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Bill Kirkpatrick, and I'm calling from Barrington, Rhode Island. What I like about the Talking Birds show is a combination of quirky, casual conversation with scientific information and data. And it's a nice balance. I love Talking Birds. I love talking about the show, and I appreciate this opportunity to share that. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the Contact button at TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. Our Mystery Bird Contest is open to you. 
as long as you haven't been a winner here in the last six months. And if you haven't heard our contest before, here's how it works. We give some clues, play the sound of a bird, and invite you to call in at this number as soon as you possibly can. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. And a unique feature of our Mystery Bird Contest is that you don't necessarily have to get the right answer. Uh, to win the contest, because if no one gets the right answer, do a drawing from among nearly correct or not even nearly correct answers uh, received. Here are some clues. Our mystery bird is a small songbird. It has a yellow chest with thin black stripes, a yellow and rusty red face, big white wing bars, and a yellowish rump. It gets the first part of its name from a famous birding locale in New Jersey. Our bird breeds across the boreal forest of Canada, and the northern U.S. and feeds by gleaning insects, especially spruce budworms, from the foliage. Uh, that would be our mystery bird. It's a. It's got a very tiny little sound. Usually, or often, kind of a c c c little sound like that. But that's almost impossible to hear on the air. This this part is a little louder. We have a beautiful Droll Yankees Ruby Sipper Hanging Hummingbird Feeder. Uh, that provides uh, multiple feeding zones for your territorial hummers. And our bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. It's pretty cool. It's the app that makes um, learning bird sounds a game. Those are the prizes. 781-837-4900 is our number. Meanwhile, how do birds keep cool? We'll see if we can find out when we check in with Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, here's a preview of another great nature book from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publishers of the Peterson Field Guides. Part of the satisfaction of watching birds is being able to name what you see. Yet field guides have so many species to choose from, it can be overwhelming. The Peterson Guide to Bird Identification in 12 Steps starts with the basics, such as location, habitat, and season, and then builds logically into a manageable framework that can help anyone identify and appreciate birds. If you're new to birding, the book will help you understand the fundamentals of observation and the identification process. If you're more experienced, it helps you step back from years in the field and refresh your thoughts on how to watch and identify birds. Written in a helpful, conversational style and illustrated with more than 85 color photographs, the Peterson Guide to Bird Identification is available wherever books are sold. So how do, how do birds keep cool when it gets hot? Well, they go to Cape Cod, of course, down by the National Seashore. Cool breezes coming in from the Atlantic. Well, that's my theory. Let's see if it holds any water. Mike O'Connor is down there in beautiful Orleans. Cape Cod, and he's going to explain that to us about birds keeping cool. Good morning, Mike. Uh, you know, sunglasses, Ray. Sunglasses? Make they put on sunglasses. Everybody's cool with sunglasses. Yeah, they use those, uh, what do they call those special kind that uh, that um, uh, the refractoration is uh, lowered by the uh, um, the uh, polarized. Uh, the polarized, polarized sunglasses. Yeah. Well, they're small. Yeah. They got the bird sunglasses. <laughs> bird sunglasses. That's what wow. makes them cool. Available now at the uh, Birdwatchers <laughs> General Store. <laughs> That's right. We're getting our supply in. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, sure. Like, you know, like, um, 
birds, we all worry about the birds in the wintertime. How do they keep warm? Well, the opposite is true, although we don't worry about it as much or think about it as much. Mm. In the summer, the birds can overheat, and, and unlike us... You know, we keep, we can get stripped down layers. I know I know you take put on your speedo and take a quick dip in Boston Harbor when it's summertime. Photos but on birds, the Facebook page coming soon. <laughs> 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 but the birds can't really do that. So some birds will, you know, we see uh, uh, birds that kind of stretch out their feathers a little bit to get some cool mm. breeze underneath it. Some birds they. they pump more blood actually through their beak. They lose hmm. a lot of heat through their beak and their bills, which yeah. is why they tuck them in at night when it's cold, but they can actually pump more blood through their beak to, to, to lose a little bit more heat. They And they pant, believe it or not, they call it gutter fluttering, hmm. you know, like dogs pant. Birds mm-hmm. have their own version of that, which means they don't drool on the furniture like dogs do. <laughs> but they have this, and they, they act, you'll see them sometimes, you'll just see them with their mouth open and yeah. they pump a lot of heat out through that. Um, some birds, some birds of prey, to get away from the earth's heat, they'll actually go up and soar. You'll see circles of birds of prey in the summertime just getting away from the earth's heat and soaring higher and higher with a little bit cooler. And it takes them almost zero energy because they can just glide and glide and soar around. They uh, are bird baths are important. You know, yep. birds will uh, go for a quick dip. And then they they go preen themselves and that let just just like us take you know jumping in the pool, but a lot of times they'll just they'll forage in the morning early in the morning and then midday we don't see any birds. Even my customers are complaining. Eh, there's no birds because <laughs> it gets just too warm, and so they'll just stay uh, in the bushes and in the shade and they'll they'll just kind of preen and wait for it to cool off and maybe come back towards the end of the day All right. at night. So they're so there panting. You go. So keep your bird bath filled right. and. Uh, and keep the speedo handy. All right, and don't forget the uh, bird sunglasses. <laughs> those over there at Mike's store. Thank you, Mike. You okay, talk to you next week, Ray. All right, Mike O'Connor there at the birds, uh, the legendary Bird Watchers uh, General Store on Cape Cod. We'll be back to our mystery bird contest. Thanks for the reminder, Tim, uh, right after this. For over a quarter century, Bird Watching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. On the Mystery Bird Contest, it's 781-837-4900, the sound of our mystery bird. If you can hear it, it's a hard one to hear. It's a tiny little sound. It's kind of a tiny bird. It's a small songbird, yellow chest, thin black stripes, a yellow and rusty red face, big white wing bars, and a yellowish rump. Gets the first part of its name from a famous birding locale in New Jersey. And uh, that clue, I think it's a pretty good clue, especially uh, for Mary, who's calling from Helmetta, New Jersey. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Nice to hear from you. And I have to admit, I don't know about Helmetta, New Jersey. No, it's a very small town in central New Jersey. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to say what exit, because you've probably heard that about 9 million times. Right. <laughs> it's uh, exit 8A. <laughs> All right. Exit 8A. On the turnpike. All right. On the turnpike. Helmetta, New Jersey. Well, it sounds lovely, and so is our mystery bird, uh, Mary. And I I wonder that clue maybe uh, really, well, you maybe you knew it anyway without that uh, extra clue. But what do you say our mystery bird is? The Cape May Warbler. You say that proudly, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Named after Cape May uh, down there in New Jersey. 
So let's say you're in the center of the state. How far would that put you from uh, Cape May? Um, about two and a half hours. Oh, okay. So it's a little bit of a bit of a hike. Have you been been over there? Yes. All right. Well, Mary, thank you so much for calling in. Congratulations on the, your correct identity there of the Cape May. Uh, Warbler and stay in the line and Tim will get all your information so we can send that good stuff to Helmetta. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, Mary. The Cape May Warbler, our mystery bird. That kind of wraps up our show pretty much for today. Next week, the return of two birding superstars, Wayne Peterson and Paul Basich of the fascinating and popular nationally distributed birding community eBulletin. Wayne and Paul will offer some amazing reports about rare bird sightings a new experimental system to prevent bird window crashes, threats to birds through changes to the Endangered Species Act, and the amazing story of Mama Merganser. That's all on next week's show. Thanks to Mark Duffield, Debbie Bleacher, and our great engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. 